Hey hey guys, this is Zane here, back at it with another episode of watching Monstros every single day this month with friends because I want them to. So today's episode is going to be a really long one potentially. I have, uh, I mean it's not going to be, it's not going to be super, I'm not going to make it any longer than the normal one, but I might not be able to fit everything within the 30 minutes, so I might have to make a part two to what I'm doing and then throw in some extra stuff if it doesn't quite evenly spread out amongst all of it. Um, originally, what was planned for this one was that I was going to watch it with my sister and get her on here, but she is no longer home right now and wasn't earlier, so I wasn't able to do that. But that's okay, because I've got backup stuff. So I spent, originally I had only planned to go through maybe about the first half of this um, I think that's about enough information, and then do the rest another time. But I'm just like, you know what, if I'm going to start going through all of this, I might as well go through it thoroughly and get all of it done and taken notes on in one go, because I might as well, I mean, why not? So I went and did an entire note section on everything within the art book, and it's pretty, it's about four pages of notes. So we're, we're getting pretty long. The uh, entire Word doc so far is at 7,500 words, so like 24 pages. So we're getting really long, and I'm uh, really excited to share a lot of this stuff with you. And there's a couple more things that I actually found online which isn't in the book, and is uh, regarding one of the storyboard artist's work, so I'll have to get to that another time, but it's some of it's pretty loosely based, but at the same time it's still technically connected because it's all storyboard and concept art he did for this. So we'll get to that probably next time, when I probably won't be able to get through all the information on this in one sitting. So starting off, this book is huge. It's like 170 something pages. Uh, it's a really nice hardcover and has actually really cool art on the front of DJ standing inside of the house and it's on a side view and from within like the window on the side that is broken you can actually see the heart of the house which is really neat and there's not a whole lot of uh, pictures actually showing it and then when you open it there's actually a little um, insert that's foldable and has a little bit of cool pictures and some like sticky note type things on the inside. It's like it was written in someone's notebook. But all the cool little stuff on here is stuff present throughout the book, so I won't focus too much time on it, but it's I don't know, it's a it's just really cool that it included like a little insert. So, I'll get right into this. I wanted to start off with in the first couple pages there is an introduction a foreword by Robert Zemeckis and I don't really want to leave that out so I'm gonna oops sorry the stuff is all falling out I'm gonna have to put that down okay I don't want to leave that out so I'm gonna do a little reading of it for you so forward Monster House began development in our production company Image Movers many years ago I thought it was very clever and a cool idea I think kids like to be scared. I'm going to see Monster House in the theaters is going to be like entering a fun house in an amusement park. In fact, it's a haunted house story combined with a monster story. To tell that story, we decided to use performance capture technology, which is the perfect blend of cinema and computer-generated imagery. 
The actors' performances are recorded using digital cameras, and the, those performances become the basis for CG animation. You have control over the images, but at the same time you get to work with human performers, which allows for those wonderful interpretations and happy accidents that happen when you have live actors doing scenes. It doesn't mean performance capture is going to replace animation, but one of the difficulties with traditional two-dimensional animation is animating humanoid characters. Ever since the early days of Disney, it's always been a problem. So what I like to say is performance capture creates an opportunity to make movies which can can't be made live action and shouldn't be made as animated cartoons. Now we have a place to put those stories that wouldn't be realized to their full potential in either of the two art forms. Performance capture fills a void in the medium of cinematic storytelling. I think it's boundless technology. I think we're just scratching the surface. Monster House is a great film told in its new hybrid medium. I like everything about it. I hope audiences will too. Executive producer, Robert Zemeckis. So I wasn't talking with um, Liam about it being a haunted house story. It is a perfect mix of haunted house mixed with a monster story, which is really neat. And moving in one page, there is an introduction written by Gil Keenan, and I don't want to miss out on that, so I'm going to give that one a little read aloud as well. And then that's it for the big readings, I promise. Introduction. It is my great pleasure to welcome you into my house of splintered teeth and moving walls and cracked glass eyes that has been my home for the last three years. Building this house has taken a truly monumental effort by a large and talented group of artists, many of whose work is featured in the following pages. I am enormously proud of the work they have done and continue to be humbled by their talent. Mostly, I am honored to have been handed the keys to such a terrific story for my first feature film. I have long been obsessed with the notion of an environment as an emotional character in a story, Monster House represents the ultimate case study for this idea. Breathing life to a two-story house presented a billion technical and creative challenges. All but two will be covered in this book. I hope you enjoy your stay. Yours, Director Gil Keenan. So I won't, and don't worry, I won't do any more uh, massive paragraph reading. I'll do a couple little snippet readings that I took notes on finding to be uh, more important than some other things in here, so don't worry if you were hoping to get a little bit more reading from out of this. So, right off the bat, there's a bunch of stuff just scattered all over the place. This th entire book is laid out sort of like a scrapbook almost, and some of the things are almost like glued on. Like you've got actual physical like sticky notes that are glued onto the back and like come off the page a bit. So we have a little sticky note from DJ that says, N as in Nebercracker, took Sue Bloom's pogo stick, and I got a picture. And there's... It's a really, really rough storyboard sketch art from Gil himself. And it looks like the start of the movie originally was going to have the title Monster House within a splatter of blood on what appears to be the sidewalk. Which is really neat. And there's also, um, within this page here, there is a little envelope. And it's taped shut, and when you open it, there is a postcard saying, Wish you were here. And it's like a nice, one of the concept arts of Nebercracker pulling Constance's cart, and it looks like they're in a canyon. It's a really nice shot. There's also a bookmark that says like Library of Mayville, and a little replica version of the key Nebercracker has, but it's made out of paper. But it still is key, and it's pretty much like one-to-one -one size, I would imagine. There's also a coffee-stained little note that from DJ that was written on something from the Lamb Shack, which 
some of it is cut out, but because the uh, envelope is in the way. But it says this week never. Um, two baseballs, one soldier toy with something, a hockey stick, a teddy bear backpack, and in brackets, he even chased a dog away. And there's even like a plan of attack that he wrote. From bedroom, from the backyard, from garage, or from that fence. And it's like one of the fences uh, beside on the long side of the house. Also, um, Gil did a little drawing of what appears to be a butterfly with like a pattern on its back wings being that of like a really creepy face and there's one uh, concept design of the intro leaf that you see right at the beginning having the silhouette of a creepy face on it which could have been cool but might have started the movie off a little too sinister and less kids like so right away we're getting into part one we're getting into the making of monster house there's a really, really nice concept art shot of just a couple houses and their decorations. I wish I could post all these pictures up, but for the sake of copyright and I don't want to be the one to scan all these pictures up, um, I don't want to deal with legal issues in that regard. But I think a lot of them are posted online on Chris Appelhan's uh, portfolio, so you can actually check them out yourselves without having to pick up the book. But getting into it there is some very very long uh write-ups for the making of the movie which i won't read but it gets into a lot of uh, inspiration like modern literary haunted houses often traced to edgar Allan poe's the fall of the house of usher published in 1839 and the haunted house genre was so well defined that oscar wilde's the canterville ghost parried it telling a story of a traditional english spirit who's out horrified by a modern american family and they go into a bunch of different, like, possession-type things, talking about the haunting, Amityville horror and whatnot, and there's just a whole lot. There's paragraphs upon paragraphs of this stuff at the beginning, but I think it's really neat. Um, it even goes on to talk about how uh, the movie started off with just the idea of a living house, but they eventually added in the idea of Nebercracker and... Nebercracker uh, being emotionally connected to the house by having it be the spirit of his dead wife. Um, oh, yeah. Doo -doo -doo. In the revised script, Nebercracker's relationship to the film's young protagonist, DJ, was also developed and reinforced. Um, there's some early design works that gilded of DJ, and this looks like some like salad fingers type work. It's pretty creepy and scratchy, but it's also at the same time, it's really interesting. And then there's the, like almost the entire storyboarding of the movie all written out. And you can actually find all of the most of the storyboarding for at least what uh, Simon Wilkins did online, which is one of the things that I was planning on covering, but I'll have to do that another day. So that also includes uh, Simon Wilkins's storyboarding art. And oh. The storyboarding began on August 11th, 2003, and took roughly four and a half months to get finished all the way through. Some of the stuff is a little bit jumpy and all over the place in regards to this early stuff, but I'm, I'm, I went page by page and I'm doing it in chronological order, so I apologize if it does come off a, a little bit uh, stunted in that regard. Um, 
and they posted a picture of all of the concept arts in chronological order and then what they did is they reduced all of them to it looks to be censored and pixelated but what they did is they reduced them to just their basic colors in each um, scene and doing so allowed them to determine color flow throughout the movie and as if you could see it it starts off all nice and autumn-y and then it slowly descends into a dark tone and you can see that in the movie as well going from like day to night but more than just day to night because there's a lot more going on um oh choosing for um digital mastering and whatnot they, they wanted to choose motion capture as a way so they could say they wanted to make a movie that doesn't look like CG but not live action and they so they wanted to do something totally different there's even a nice long write-up about the incredible wish list of all the actors that they got and how they're super super lucky to do so they attribute uh, for a couple characters like Kathleen uh, likely due to the notoriety of the producers Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis they mentioned how uh, uh, from Kathleen Turner saying she had enjoyed the enormous successes as a voice actress. She was involved in Monster House through uh, Bob Zemeckis, so Robert. Kathleen says, He had cast me as the voice of Jessica and Roger Rabbit, so he called up and said, Would you be interested in a new technique? Because he knows that I'm always interested in any kind of new development that comes along. But the real hook was when he said, Well, you played the sexiest animated character in Roger Rabbit, now you can play the ugliest. ugliest. Because my character, Constance, is the 700-pound circus fat woman. And I said, Oh, okay. I thought that was pretty funny. And a really interesting way for them to try and tie in Kathleen Turner into all of this. Man, I'm realizing I don't think I'm going to get close to finishing all this. I'm on page two, like halfway through it. But that's okay. Hopefully I'm not talking too fast over this. I'm not trying to rush this out or anything. But moving on, there's two whole pages dedicated to the main characters and all of the clothing that they're wearing. So you've got DJ, they're describing the shirts like blue, red, white striped knit turtleneck worn untucked, dark dark blue denim five pocket jeans, nylon blue sneakers with velcro strap, and even a watch going on to talk about chowder and all that. They've got a really cool thing going on. It looks like originally uh, Jenny was going to have a Burgundy, th oh, they there's actually a typo in three button blazer. They have three E's. Maybe that's intentional, but burgundy th three button blazer with gold buttons worn buttoned up. Skirt gray flat front with pleats at back with suspenders that create H and the base. So it didn't seem like originally they were going to have West, um, Westbrook, Westbrook prep be like um, an emblem on her thing. Also within this page, there's two packs of trading cards which are super neat i haven't totally mapped all of it out with all the cards but on the back there's a little image but when you put all of them together i believe they spell out monster house and make a picture i'll have to do that and see if i can snap a picture and post it up on the youtube version at some point it looks like we're uh halfway through because the song looped the song is Heart Home City nighttime theme from Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. I think it works because it's a little bit more upbeat but nighttimey at the same time. It's nice to not have everything be super smooth, jazzy, and slow because this is a, an exciting topic, I think. 
Now, within each of the trading cards, they have two for each character, the first one being the concept art, featuring a quote from the character, and the second one being what they look like in the movie. And on a couple of these, there's actually... Uh, there's two quotes that aren't actually present in the movie itself. Oh, actually, there's three. So for Jenny's, it says, I think we're going to need bigger squirt guns. For Chowder's, it says, I only do one haunted tomb per adventure. And DJ's dad says, watch out, boys. My son here's got an unfair advantage. He's going through puberty. And all the other ones are just regular quotes, like, uh, I believe Landers saying he was wrestling with a bear claw. Um, I can't even remember what DJ's was, but you get the gist. There's a lot of interesting, unique things that aren't necessary. Also on this page, there's a sticky note that says, Monday, little pink umbrella. Tuesday, a cool metal robot thing. And Wednesday, BB gun. I'm assuming that's a list of things that Nevercracker's taken. The pages with the, those things on are actually pretty heavy. They go on to describe a lot about the black box theater with all the motion cap cameras, but I think I've done a pretty good job at describing that in the behind the scenes video. So I won't go over much of that here. They also included a really, really cool um, booklet called Monster House Bringing to Life Expression. And it's all from the animator, animate, animation director. And what it is, is it's a bunch of like wax sort of sheets of paper that are super like see-through. And on the first page, it's the concept art for characters making, or for Nevercracker, Jenny, and Chowder making faces. And these are all just the drawings. And then right behind it, it's the voice actors making those faces with the motion cap bulbs on them. And then in the last image, it's all of the animation done and skeletoned over the characters to make it look like the faces that they're doing. So it goes through the process of drawing to acting it out to finally having it animated, which is really cool. Also, I apologize if the flipping of the pages is a little bit loud. I didn't really realize that it might be a little bit, so hopefully it's not too, too bad. Um, that's more of the motion cap stuff. And the originally, there's concept art for Z, and originally she was going to be called, or named Mary. And she would be wearing a sort of crop top hoodie that's pink. It's like barely crop top, but it still is cropped. Um, and her hair was going to be sort of up and curled like in an 80s sense. So she wasn't going to be looking very punk rock or someone that would end up with bones or skull. She was very like stereotypical babysitter. Um, imagine big earrings and just a babysitter from the 80s and you've pretty much got the best possible description of it that you can. Uh, Gil even mentioned that the movie itself felt like they filmed basically four different films uh, all throughout the different steps of production like animatics, uh, animating, producing, and then finally getting the rest of it finished. Felt like all four like different steps of making a movie but four separate movies all at once even though they were all for the same thing also more trading cards there's i think a bit over 20 in total and the concept art for bones is just 
oh so slightly different from his one that we got now. There's an entire uh, page all just dedicated to um, the lighting and stuff that they did. Rather than just using different uh, amounts of light, like the sun going down and it's getting darker, they went with a bunch of different color schemes as well. And all the different like shadow linings and effects that they could do. So they went really in-depth with it. And went over uh, a lot of how the rendering is, uh, going over the when the house is there, when they're inside the house and the way the floor opens up. And then going just over a couple like last words that the director and stuff had and the editor. And there's one last sticky note on this page that says, check out woods behind Nebercracker's house. So I think originally uh, the behind his house was just going to be a bunch of trees, but they, I guess, cut that out because it's the, supposed to be the suburbs. Also this, yeah, this was one of the first movies to be done in 3D. And so that's pretty much the end of what is the making of and like production. And we're moving on to probably the most exciting part, which is the art and story of Monster House. And there's a bunch of really interesting snippets here. And hopefully I can get into just enough of it where it's a nice even point for me to break. So, going off it, the following pages features much of the artwork that went into the creation of Monster House, including selections from the 60 original beat paintings by concept artists Chris Appelhans and Kang Lee, director Gil Keenan's early sketches, computer-generated three-dimensional renders by Doug Chang, storyboards by Simon Wilkins, production designed by Ed Farrow and his team, a variety of additional illustrations, and final animation frames generated by the Imageworks team led by animation supervisor Troy Saliba and visual effects supervisor Jay Red. So, that was a mouthful. There is a lot. Uh, and just from this page of the noteworthy stuff is Eliza originally having brown hair and the basket on the front of her tricycle was going to have like some teddy bear looking thing with horrified looking eyes and he was going to be strapped to the front of the basket. Sort of like uh, at the end of Toy Story 3 when Lotso, I think his name, ends up getting tied to the front of the garbage truck. So imagine that, but this with a greenish teddy bear that probably doesn't smell very good. There's also another uh, post-it note that says Marty Stevenson and George Coat, Coat, K-O-A-T. And then in brackets it says Coat in a Coat. Set up a ramp on Nebercracker sidewalk, lasted three minutes, and took the ramp. It's kind of cool that uh, DJ wrote N instead of Nebercracker all the time in these. Oh, and right underneath uh, the post-it note, I didn't notice this, it says, The advantage that Gil had is that he was able to imagine a world before shooting. Because, yeah, all of it was written, but nothing was inherently described. They just had kind of a basis for what a lot of the film was going to be about. And then he went on to pretty much imagine all of this stuff up, which is nuts. Also... This has two, a couple screenshots of the Polaroids found on DJ's desk, and they're, none of them are actually 3D models, they're all 2D hand-drawn concept art footage, so if you do look closely you can tell that. There's one picture of 
Nevercracker pretty close up on his face when he's looking in the, into the camera that you can pretty easily tell is not actually a photograph. Or, well, it's not 3D, it's all hand-drawn. From there, there is a bunch of concept art for a bunch of different variations that they did on the house. There's like eight different ones here. They're all pretty similar, all featuring uh, mostly the two windows where you think the eyes would be, with the partition changing in a couple spots, some of them not having the porch that goes all the way around the front of the house, and a couple different other features. And the concept artist and guild drove around LA looking at old craftsman houses for inspiration. They really liked the idea of having the house have ace like having asymmetrical features to it, so they liked the idea of adding the partition on the left eye to give it some weird bug eye monstrous quality, and the partition being the bit on the left side of the house, if we are we are the house it would be our left eye that sticks out a little bit. Sorry, I just have to take a drink. Okay. And uh, most of the chimneys are roughly in the same spot all the time, but all of them tried to maintain a look that it had, like, a sort of subtle face to it. Then there's a really nice view of just the inside of the house with Nevercracker uh, trike in hand. And one of the quotes from uh, Chris Oplahan's the concept artist, one of them, says that the concept art was a blend of Norman Rockwell meets a Wallace and Gromit, as he was aiming for something that has never been seen before. He always liked to do his all of his drawings on paper and then transfer them to, do you say? Yeah, to Photoshop because uh, using colors and stuff on the computer is a lot more malleable than doing it by hand. I don't have a whole lot of experience in digital art, but I would imagine that's the case. I always have to be swapping out uh, markers and buying new ones because there's only so many colors that you can have physically. And the next page is a really good one. It shows early concept of DJ's parents when uh, Chowder shows right up to the car. DJ's dad originally looked sort of like the main dude from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, wearing sort of a bucket hat and a, like, Hawaiian floral t-shirt. It's a great look, and he looks super, super annoyed. It's great. And the idea behind Chowder was that Gil wanted him to be one of those kids who just sort of appears in a bolt of annoyance. So he's there and you're already like, oh man, here's Chowder. And his introduction in the movie is an excellent example of that. You can tell his parents are like, oh boy, it's this kid again. And even DJ seems a little bit disappointed that he's shown up. I think that's hilarious. Gil also mentioned that he ideally would have liked to have seen himself as DJ as a 12 year old, but, or wished he was DJ as a 12 year old, but realistically he was a lot closer to Chowder. But to think almost everyone at 12 years old is they're a little bit closer to Chowder. Just hitting that age but before teenagehood where you get that angst and you're just kind of nuts. Um, oh, moving on, there's a really, really nice wide shot of the kids waving goodbye to the parents leaving, of course. And a quick mention of the hyper-realistic colors that Gil decided to go with, which I believe I mentioned in one of the earlier episodes. It's the only time that hyper-real colors is mentioned throughout the book, which is interesting. 
and all of their idea was to do shots that you would never do if your goal was to create a perfect reality. And one example of that being the wide shot of the lawn that I talk about all the time, where you can see the pipes and stuff underneath the ground. And so you do get this idea that this is an impossibly done shot, the pipes are never actually going to be like that in real life, but it gives you an example of this entire movie is a little bit larger than life and fantastical, which is I really like. And also, sort of on a, I guess it's not quite on the same topic, but the entire neighborhood was sketched out really, really early on, which is super neat. Like, it's, they did a really lovely job with it, and it would almost almost work as a whole, like, D&D thing if it was on squared uh, ground. And, man, there's some really fantastic, like, partially 3D drawings done on paper here. And there's even just a quick little sketch that DJ potentially would have done on a little notepad piece of paper. Within the same page mentioning the wide shot with the pipes under the ground, there's two sticky notes saying, Set alarm for 2am, and chuck bouncy ball onto Nebercarker's lawn and observe. And then right below it in all caps, Fell asleep, ball gone, when did he come out? And a couple of uh, early concept shots of from Simon Wilkins going on about uh, when DJ, DJ went to get the basketball off of Nebercracker's lawn. Okay, there's one more page that I will get to and then I'm gonna have to call this a quiz for now because we're about to hit the 30 minute mark already, somehow. We're really flying by this. But what I'll end off with is, it's a concept art picture of Nebercracker grabbing a DJ from his lawn and it says, I think you always care about Steve Buscemi, and then in brackets, Nevercracker, on screen, Gil Keenan says, Partly, it's because he has these amazing giant eyes which have so much soul to them. They carry the burdens of the world in them, and that is very Nevercracker. So we're... We're about a third of the way through the book at this point. I wasn't lying when I said there's an insane amount of information on this, and I'm excited to get more into it when I can. Of course, it'll probably either be... Tomorrow's episode will be with my sister, or the next maybe two days will be a little bit more information regarding the book. But I hope, sorry, I hope that this was uh, interesting for you guys as it was for me, because a ton of this stuff is not written online anywhere, and we're still getting into some of the more exciting bits that we have. So I'm still writing the movie. This one will be 172 pages out of 172 pages, giving this one a perfect rating. And I hope to see you guys again tomorrow. Have a good one. See ya.